Thank you, Brother Steve, and thank you, brethren, for making my time here such a special and enjoyable occasion. I have uh, come to greatly appreciate you as a congregation. Uh, I already had good feelings about you, knowing Brother Jim Dearman was here and he and Janice working with this congregation. I'd known of them in the past, but being able to come with uh, Jenny last September uh, to be with you, we were so impressed with the congregation just that one day we were with you. And then to have been invited back for a gospel meeting has truly been a special point in my life, one that I will never forget. I've enjoyed getting to know you. Y'all have been so good to me. I've got to go on a diet when I go home. I'm dreading it, you know. My wife keeps telling me when I'm on the phone with her, what are you eating, what are you eating? I said, you don't want to know, you don't know. <laughs> but I've been so well treated, and I appreciate so much all of you who've just shown your kindnesses and shown your support in the things that I have had the opportunity to share with you on this occasion. Having the blessing of the gospel in our lives, it brings us together in such a unique and special way, and it causes us to realize that because we have this connection, and because we have this family, this kingdom that God calls and says is of heaven, that it's going to be something that... um, gives us a sense of connectivity, not just for now, and maybe not just for the rest of our lives, but for all of eternity. And with that in mind, eternity is something that has so much promise and so much hope. I think, though, that eternity is just not something we spend enough time thinking about and dwelling on. One of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older, is that I have opportunities more to talk to my parents who are older too, still, still living, still with us. And one of the things that my mom and I will talk about, I know at least once a week, is we'll talk about how short life is and how long uh, we are for this old world before the time comes when we'll enter into glory. And with so many of our friends, just like you buried a friend today, the uh, more we realize that that time's coming. And we've got to ready ourselves for that uh, eventuality because it is coming. And um, But it's something that, um, I don't know about you, but uh, even though I'm excited about it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about it, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. But the humanity of me quite frankly, scares me a little bit. Uh, Mainly because I've not been there yet. And no one who's been there has come back to say very much about it. Now, Jesus talked about it. He talked about it in the New Testament. and he, he, He discussed various things that would take place. You know, He talked about the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, in the book of Luke. And and he gave us some pictures of what's after. But because I've never experienced it before, I approach the subject with excitement, but 
as the old saying goes, we're not trying to get a bus up today to go, you know. We're not going to try to get a big group going. And I think maybe the reason that is, is not that I'm, a, I'm afraid to go. It's not that I even want to go any less. But I think what it is, is God has made me in such a way that I love the life that I live. But only, not only do I love the life that I live, but within me and within us all, there is a sense of appreciation for the idea that there's something else. This is not all there is. We're not just, when we leave this life, when our old blood pump stops pumping and life goes out of us, we're not going to be dead all over like Rover, as they say. But we are literally going to live forever. I heard an illustration several years ago. It was actually in a funeral where a man was preaching the lesson and, and uh, he made this, uh, this illustration. And I thought it was one of the most unique things I'd ever heard to maybe try to get my thoughts even a little bit more around the idea of living forever. He says, you know, when a child is in its mother's womb, that that child has all the, the nutrients and all the comforts and all the, uh, all the things that that child, as it is growing in its mother's stomach, all the things that it could possibly, could possibly want. And he said, you know, if I had an opportunity, if we had an opportunity to talk to a child that was inside its mother's stomach and to talk to them about what was going to happen to them when they actually were born. He says, I'm sure that they would probably say, well, you know, it's awful warm in here. You know, all the food I could ever want, I'm, I'm getting from my mother. You're talking about comfortable. I'm comfortable all the time. So, I'm having a hard time here understanding how I could be convinced that living out there where you are is going to be better than the way it is right here. And you know, I think that's kind of the way eternity is for all of us. We hear about eternity. We hear the Scriptures talk about eternity. We're introduced to Jesus who makes His scene in the world by coming to us from eternity. And He shares with us such a unique relationship with His Father that helps us to see and to appreciate and even love and cherish the idea that there is somewhere we can go after this old life. But I think the old preacher was kind of right when he said... We're a lot like those babies. They don't want to come out, and we don't want to go. And that's kind of the way life is. Well, you know, I want us to read a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, one couple from the Old Testament, maybe to kind of get our thoughts thinking a little bit more. Solomon of old, I love the book of Ecclesiastes, because Solomon just seems to, upon his throne, have considered just about everything there is to consider, at least in the world in which he lived. 
And uh, he even thought about a lot of things as far as spirituality that um, I think was quite a pace setter for his day. At least you don't read a whole lot other in the Old Testament about anticipating eternity. But he talks about this in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. In verse 9 he says, For what profit, or what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? He says, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Flip over to chapter 8, in verse 16. He says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the, the business that is done on earth even though one sees no sleep day or night. That I saw all the works of God or the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find out. I think what he's saying in these couple of passages is this. God has made every single individual, you, me, all of us, in such a way that he has placed in our hearts, and I think this is something that is truly unique to humanity. It's not something you find in the animal kingdom. It's something that is completely unique to human beings. And that is the reality that we think Beyond this life, we have eternity in our hearts. But what he says back in chapter 3 and also what he says here in chapter 8 is man can work his whole life and never truly appreciate God's blessing from the beginning to the end. Well, I think in some ways he's probably right. But I think also... He had the knowledge and understanding that he had in his day. I think all he knew was what God had revealed to him when he wrote these things down. But we live at a different time than Solomon. I want to propose to you that we live at a better time than Solomon lived. We live at a time when eternity has so been introduced and even expounded upon through the life, the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can understand about eternity. In fact, I think we've got it so far ahead of Solomon in his day that we can, because of Jesus, understand more about eternity than he would have ever known. And we can understand enough about eternity that we can fall in love with the concept and we can look forward to it with anticipation and we can pull it within ourselves and our hearts and live for it day by day. Anything worth having is worth investigating. And once it's investigated and the value of it is seen to be able to hold it in and pull it to you,
and determined to never let it go is something that is truly too, too unique to the Christian experience. Part of what you're doing as a Christian is coming to realize how truly marvelous eternity really is going to be. Now, flip with me over into the New Testament. We're going to actually spend most of the rest of our lesson in the book of 1 John. Now, that's not the John after, after Luke. That's on further back. So go to 1 John, and we're going to see how John actually introduces the idea that um, eternity in his life and in his um, presence in the world help us to understand eternity that much better. First of all, I want you to recognize that what John wanted his readers to understand is that Christ is the expression, the very expression of eternity. Look at verse, well, I've got verse 2 on the screen, but let's look at verse 1. He says, he says well, I better get over to first, first one. I'm telling you to go to first one. I'm in the second one. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He said the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. Did you hear it? Eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, when I read these verses, it actually reminds me of that first letter of John, does it not? I mean, my mind goes back to where he says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he, he talks about John the baptizer, and he talks about how the light's in the darkness, the darkness can't comprehend it. And then he gets down to verse 14, and he says, The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of only the, the, uh, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, we were with Him, we saw Him, we touched Him. You know, when, when Jesus came into the world... He had been around for a long, long time before that. That's different from me and you. We have a start. We have a start. When we come into this world, that's where we get started. But I want to present to you and suggest to you that when we got started, when God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, so to speak, we became a living soul. And in becoming a living soul, we began from that very point. And from that point on, we will live, our souls will live forever. But not so with Jesus. Jesus had been a long time before. Jesus was in the form of the Logos or the Word. But then when He put on flesh and became flesh and dwelt among people... What did that give people an opportunity to do except to see 
for the first time what heaven was all about in the person of Jesus. You know, we sing that song sometimes. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Heaven came down and His glory filled this world in such a way that it has never, ever recovered. The world was different after Mary gave birth to that child. The world never was the same again once that child began to grow and increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The world was never the same after that man had the ability to begin preaching and teaching and doing all kinds of signs and wonders in the presence of people in this world. The world was never the same and never will be the same again after that man was put on the cross and three days later came out of the grave by the glory of the Father. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. The world has never been the same because when Jesus came into this world and Jesus experienced this world and this world experienced Him, people had a view of heaven like they'd never seen before. Do you remember there in the 14th chapter of the book of John how that on the occasion where he was with his disciples in the upper room, you remember what Philip said? Philip Philip said, show us the Father and that suffices us. And in the course of that discussion, he says, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you've not understood that when you see me, you've seen the Father? You see, what Jesus gives us is a wonderful expression of Godness literally in the flesh, literally in the presence of humanity. Certainly no one has ever seen the face of God before. Oh, there were people in the Old Testament times who thought they'd seen God. But there was a manifestation, perhaps through an angelic being, that God utilized on those occasions. But no one had ever seen God before. Not until Jesus came. But when they saw Jesus, they've got a picture of heaven like no one had ever seen before. You know, last Sunday night, we spent a little time talking about how faith is increased. And I'm as convicted and convinced as ever before that the only way our faith is going to grow and our trust in the concept of an eternal life is ever going to be, going to be strong. We have to come to know not only what Jesus did, but who Jesus is And he has to be something that is not just something we understand with our head, but something that we understand with our heart. Jesus, the Son of the living God, who put on flesh, expressed to the world eternity. But John doesn't stop there. He has some other things to say. Look over in chapter 2. Chapter 2 and beginning of verse 24. What Jesus does in this passage of Scripture is give us a little bit of an ensuring awareness of what eternity is all about. John wants you to know that you can be um, ensured of the reality of 
the fact that eternal life is forever and ever. And it is and can be yours. Listen to him in verse 24. He says, Therefore, he said, Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And he says, And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. God makes us a promise. You know, when we talk about faith and we talk about trust, we even talk about belief. There is a sense, I think, of misunderstanding, maybe some miscommunication that sometimes takes place amongst religious people. But in reality, what God wants us to understand when it comes to having faith, that faith is not one of these things where you just go to a certain point in your understanding and then you just kind of take a blind leap into the dark. Now, most of the time, if you ever hear anything about faith being brought up on television or on a radio program or being discussed in a newspaper, chances are, nine chances out of ten, that's the way it's going to be explained. But tonight, I want to suggest to you, God has never, ever expected one person to ever believe one thing He has ever said to anybody without proof. Never. All the things that He ever did, all the things that He promised that were going to take place, all those things took place. All the promises of old concerning the future that would take place, concerning the the blessing that would come to mankind. You remember when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden and and, and He said to the serpent on that occasion in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you'll bruise his heel. Scholars tell us that that was the first time God had expressed to the humanity that He was going to do something about man's sin problem. And certainly over the period of time, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of woman, made under the law. His head stomper was preparing Himself for the occasion of knocking Satan off His eternal throne. When Jesus died on the cross that Friday afternoon, there was a temporary heel blow to God's Son in that He did die. But oh, when God raised Him up, He fulfilled His promise. I want you to know God made that promise a long time ago and there were a lot of times in history where those there were occasions where that promise could have really been messed up. I believe with all my heart that the reason why the flood took place at the time that it took place is because Noah was the last righteous man on the earth, he and his family. What if he had just waited one or two more generations? But he didn't. Because God's true to His Word. Esther is one of those interesting stories in the Old Testament. You don't even have a mention of God in the book, but yet what you see is this is a woman who Mordecai actually says, who knows if you might have been been brought to this moment for this very reason to save the people of God. Certainly, 
her strength, her faith, her out-and-out sense of righteous indignation and justice caused her to really put her life on the line. In the end, she saved her people. But also, in the process, God saved His plan. If Haman had had his way, he'd have destroyed the whole nation. And then where would have God's plan been? God determined that He promised Abraham of old, Genesis chapter 12, it's going to happen through your seed. Oh, He tried to help him out by laying with his one of his housekeepers. Messed up the world as a result. God had a plan. He stayed true to His plan. God never has expected anyone to believe anything without proof. And so I want to tell you tonight, when you read the word promise here in verse 25, you're talking about a time-tested, honored reality. When God promises, it's going to happen. Now I know we live in a world where people say, "Oh, you know, you Christians, you don't, you, you know, you just you, you rely on this crutch of Christianity. You, you, you depend on a God you can't even see." But what they don't understand is, we can read, we can see the history, and we could see the proofs of God time and time and time and time again living true to what He said He would do. What Jesus does when He comes into the world is He says by His expression, by His place here in the world, God has a promise to those who love and obey His will. Eternal life. Eternal life. But... There are more things. Turn over to chapter 5. In chapter 5, in verse 11, he brings up eternity again. Except this time, what we see here is kind of an enclosure. An enclosure concept being presented by Jesus. The enclosure. That place in which eternity can actually be realized. Listen to it, verse 11. He says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. You know what that says to me? Well, Scott, if you want to know what eternal life is all about, you better get to knowing about the Son. And not only do you need to get to know about the Son, you need to realize that relationship and heeding the promises that he's made are true. But what this passage says is if you really want to know what eternal life is, you're going to have to be in his son. Something about the fold of safety. We, um, several years ago, raising our children, and we were living in a situation where we had a nice big... um, I guess fenced-in area, big field next to the house where we were living. So our kids were growing up, trying to teach them responsibility. So we were had a little extra tax money one year, 
And we bought a couple of horses for our children. We thought that would teach them responsibility, and, and it was good for them. They learned how to ride and learned how to be responsible, taking care of. They had to always feed. You know, we taught them how to do all the medicines and everything. I mean, we, they, they had to take care of those horses, but boy, they had fun with them too. They would get on those horses and ride them all over the place and just had the best old time. One of those horses we, uh, is actually uh, two females. We call them Scarlet and Bonnie. I don't know where we got those names, but maybe we're in the South, so who knows. <clears throat> Scarlet was the mother. And uh, one of the things that Scarlet really had a hard time with is staying inside the fence. I'll never forget one night, I guess it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden I heard a at my front door. Well, I get up, you know, get my clothes on right quick, and I start getting toward the door, and I start, and I notice there are blue lights flashing. And so I finally made it to the door, and it's a police officer, and he said, uh, sir, he said, do you own a horse? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, He's out in the, she's out in the middle of the road, and uh, you need to come and get her back in. Well, what Scarlett was doing was she was jumping the fence. And um, so, I mean, several times I had to go and get Scarlett back in the fence. Somehow, some way, that horse had gotten the idea that it was not in a safe place or in a place that it needed to be because it needed to be somewhere else. She got the idea that, that safety was actually outside of that fence. And you know, I got to thinking, that happens a lot of times with Christians. In the safety and the fold of being in a relationship with Christ. I think there's a sense sometimes when we feel like, you know, things are, are probably out there that they're, they're a little bit, I mean, they're, they're pulling at me. They, 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 they've got my attention. Now, I know, I know in here... Uh, is a place where eternal life is talked about and relationship and forgiveness. I mean, those are good things, but boy, look outside that fence. I mean, look at all the things you can enjoy out there. And the tendency sometimes is to try to jump the fence of life and get out there and enjoy all the things that are going on out there. And a lot of times what we don't realize is that when we get out there, that's the place where trouble is. That's a place where the devil is sitting on his throne. That's where he has the greatest amount of experience. That's where he has the greatest amount of influence. He's in control of what's going on out there. And the tendency for Christians is sometimes even, believe it or not, to even try to have one foot inside and one foot out. I'll tell you what, one of the things I always was worried about that horse is if she ever jumped and didn't quite make it. If she were to ever get caught between the fence, how that might affect her, how it could have killed her, or at least maimed her to the point that she would have had to been put to sleep. Well, maybe that's enough of that illustration. 
But I think it presents to us the reality that being inside Christ, being within Christ. You know, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, For as many of us have been baptized into Christ, put on Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Some translations say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, a new creation. Behold, all things have become new inside that place. The old things are put away. The new things are there and and the nature of it is they continue to be renewed day by day as we strive toward a better appreciation of what we have. Tonight I want to tell you, one of the best ways you can be happy in Christ is by dwelling on things that go along with being in Christ. Taking opportunities at times to talk about spiritual things. Hey, listen, I love my football teams. I love my roll tide. And I like to watch football, and I like to watch basketball, and I like to watch baseball. But I want you to know, those things sometimes become the things that replace what's really, really important in life. Spiritual things. Eternal things. And I think sometimes we use those things to stay on that level that keep us from actually getting down to the nitty gritty of where we really, really need to be. And that is focusing on those spiritual things in Christ. There's safety there for those who are in Christ. But let's just continue what he says. The very next verse here, verse 13, something very similar, but there's some enlightenment here that he's going to give us in Christ. Uh, And as it has to do with eternal life, he says, These things, he says, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I want to ask you tonight, do you ever falter in your belief in Jesus' potential? Let's get real here. I have to be honest with you, sometimes it's easy for me to think, well, is Jesus really going to pull this off? Especially when I'm working with someone who is in a hopeless situation. When their lives are just on the brink of, of, of despair because of things that have happened in their lives, because of decisions, bad decisions that they've made, the hurting that people feel in Christ because of the things they have to deal with in the world, it is true, it's truly huge. And I have to confess, I get connected with them on a personal basis, and sometimes I find myself all too often wondering, Lord, are you really going to do this? Oh, I hope you can do this. I want you to do this so bad. Do you do that? Do you do that? It's okay. You're human. We're human. We struggle. And God knows we struggle. 
Our faith is always there. Our trust is always there. We have this headship knowledge of eternal life, but yet by going through all these things, it's so easy for us to sometimes just get overwhelmed with what's going on. What John tells us here is, if you really connect with the Son of God, I mean really, really connect with who He is, what He has done, what He is doing now at the right hand of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews said that He's there on our behalf. He is our high priest. He understands our weaknesses and our difficulties. He's there in the presence of God on His right hand for you and for me. I've got to hold on to that. I've got to remember that. Especially when I'm, I'm, I'm being hit in my heart and my mind when things are not going so well with me or my children or my family or my friends, my loved ones. Oh, how important it is for us to recognize the enlightenment that comes from knowing something to be true. If you can know that eternity is something that is going to come to you. If you can know it in your heart of hearts, it'll get you through. It'll help you overcome. You'll be able to deal with whatever you have to deal with in life. But finally, let's get down to verse 20 and let's just see one other thing. Jesus is a wonderful enhancer of the concept of eternity. He says in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come. And He's given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm very, very excited about that day. I I hope I'm alive. You know, I think the Apostle Paul, when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, I think he wrote in such a way, he ends every chapter by talking about the end. And it's almost like he's trying to say, look, get ready, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I mean, we don't know when, but we know it's going to happen. And you know, if we lived every day as if we thought, hey, it could happen today, that life would be a little bit better. We would stay a little bit more convinced. We'd stay a whole lot more connected with God. Someday, Jesus is going to come again. Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain with His disciples and He was talking with them and all of a sudden, His body began to lift off the ground. I can't imagine what that would have looked like. I've watched uh, 
a lot of TV shows that give you the idea of how somebody might be able to lift off the ground, but I've never really seen someone lift off the ground. I mean, literally. Can you just imagine those 11 fellows that were standing there on that occasion as they were seeing Jesus go up into heaven? You know, I imagine their mouths were wide open as they were watching the Savior disappear. I'm sure they were startled when those angelic beings were there and they said, why Why are you here? Why to stand you here gazing up into heaven in the same way in which He left you? He's going to come again. Now I want to tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm able to see the Son of, of the living God come into the skies and as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 see and know that the dead in Christ will have arisen and they'll be coming with the Lord and we will go into the air and be with the Lord as He says forever and ever. Now He says at the end of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians comfort one another with these words. I want you to know I get comfort from those words. Do you get comfort from those words? I've seen a lot of things in my life that distress me to no end when I've seen the victories that Satan has won in the lives of my friends and my family. And I see how that he has, has, has caused such terrible things to happen. The terrible cancers of this world, the terrible heart conditions of this world that have sniffed the lives out of good, decent, godly people that shouldn't have left when they did. On the day when the Lord comes again, it was going, it's going to be a day of reckoning. It's going to, day, going to be a day when, as he says in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. I don't know about you. I love the world. I love them all. I wish they'd all be saved. But I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the day when all the wrongs will be righted. My God has said He's going to make things right. People are going to be called into account for the lives that they've lived They're going to have to give an answer for the things that they have done wrong. They're going to have to stand before God and give an account of all the sins they've they've committed in their lives. And if they have not been washed of their sins by the blood of the Lamb, they're going to live forever. But it's not going to be with the Lord. Oh, there's a lot of folks out there that are wanting to tell us that, well, yeah, maybe there is a such thing as punishment, but somehow they've kind of made themselves feel a little bit better thinking that, well, you know, when you die, God will punish you and it'll be hurtful for a while, but then He's just going to annihilate you and you just won't be around. My Bible doesn't teach that. Read Mark chapter 9. That punishment's going to go on forever and ever. Where the worm doesn't die. The punishment's going to continue forever and ever and ever. Let me tell you this. Just as long as heaven exists, so will hell. And just as long as people are alive in heaven, 
people are going to be alive in hell. The important thing is, when are we going to make the choice about where we're going to be and the direction we're going to go? We've got to start right now. Why did God give you the life that you have? Most of us here in this auditorium have lived over a few decades. Why did God let you live as long as He's let you live? If not to give you time and an opportunity to become so convinced in your heart and your mind that you truly are going to live forever. He's given you that time to make that choice of where you're going to be. Will you live forever in Christ, with Christ, forever and around the throne of God? The whole book of Revelation is just beautiful explanations around that wonderful throne room. Revelation 4. Oh, I want to see that. I want to see that. How about you? Tonight, if you're subject to the invitation of our Lord, couldn't we admonish you to change the direction of your life? Would you repent of your sins and would you confess the name of Jesus? Would you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? I realize in a crowd like this on Wednesday night, most everybody's probably been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And so I guess my greater concern is, if you have obeyed, are you ready? I mean, are you truly ready? It may very well be that you've had a mate that has left you and gone on to be with the Lord. And you know, in time you have gotten so discouraged about life and you've been so down and so negative that maybe you've lost that glimmer of hope that you once had when he or she was here. Can I admonish you and encourage you that you need to make your calling and your election sure? Start over. Come down this aisle. Put your hand, Brother Steve's hand, in my hand. We'll hug you and love you. We'll pray for you. We'll try to encourage you and be the family that you need to have so that you can be steadfast and you can be committed to that eternal reward forever and ever. What will it be? What will it be? While together we rise and as we sing. being patiently drawing near